from our offices in Washington, D.C. This is Everything About Hydrogen. I'm Andrew Leadham, and joining me from a few blocks down the road here in Washington is Patrick Malloy of the Rocky Mountain Institute and Chris Jackson, CEO of Proteum, who is calling in from London. This is our first episode of 2021, and we are kicking things off with a bang here by exploring how hydrogen is being used in the efforts to decarbonize mining operations around the world. To help us understand how hydrogen technologies are being deployed in the mining sector, we are excited to have Jan Klawitter with us on the show today. Jan is the head of international policy for Anglo-American, far and away the largest platinum mining company in the world. Jan will be walking us through some of the ways that Anglo-American is looking to deploy hydrogen solutions and fuel cells in their mines. We have a lot to talk about and we will get to our conversation with Jan in just a second. But first, I'd like to quickly mention to our listeners that our good friends over at Inspiratia will be hosting a virtual event on February 17th, covering a wide range of topics in the hydrogen space, from transportation and heating applications to national hydrogen strategies and the investment landscape. Chris, Patrick, and I will all be in virtual attendance, potentially recording a segment for the podcast, along with dozens of leaders in the space who are far more interesting to listen to than we are. So if you're interested in attending the Hydrogen Decade virtual event on February 17th, hosted by Inspiratia, you can check it out on Inspiratia's website, that's inspiratia.com, under the Events tab, or find more information via Inspiratia's company page on LinkedIn. The event is free for Inspiratia subscribers, but tickets for non-subscribers are also available. For ticket information or for potential speaking and sponsorship opportunities, the team at Inspiratia tells me you can just shoot them an email at conferences at inspiratia.com and they will get you squared away. Okay, last thing before we get to the substance of the show, we'd just like to remind everyone that if you have any questions for us here at Everything About Hydrogen, please shoot us an email at info at h2podcast.com or give us a shout on Twitter at, at About Hydrogen. We love getting listener messages, so keep them coming, guys. And with that, let's get started. All right, guys, we're back. It's 2021. How was everybody's holidays? How, Chris, how are things in the UK? You guys do anything interesting? Uh, well, I mean, interesting, I guess, uh, you know, as, insofar as you can do anything interesting these days in the world of lockdown. But, um, yeah, I, I think um, it was probably the only time last year where the UK hygiene industry stopped working was from the 22nd of uh, December. So it was actually quite nice <laughs> to not be right. doing something, um, you know, but, you know, as many people are aware, and I'm sure you know, Andrew, it's it's we've we've been catching up for lost time this year. It's been a flurry of activity in the first two weeks of January. So I'm sure we'll get on to that. Um, did you guys manage to take a break? Did either of you manage to escape the email treadmill? I refuse to answer emails promptly on principle, Chris. So uh, that yeah. I, I'm always escaping the email treadmill. I don't know about Patrick, though. That I can't so speak for him. That makes more sense to me right now. Uh, <laughs> which, yeah, reminds me. I think I owe you a couple. This sounds uh, this sounds heavenly. Yeah, no, I, I managed. I managed to get a nice little break. It was good. Um, feeling a little bit a little bit fresher to the start of 2021. So. Uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, a better year, and uh, hopefully not too long uh, left for lockdowns. But uh, may, may we live in hope, I guess. Yeah. Well, well, you know, it's it's off to an interesting start here in Washington, but we can come back to that another time. <laughs> 
Uh, but Patrick, we've got a pretty interesting guest, uh, a first for us on everything about hydrogen. Uh, we are going to be looking at the mining sector today. So I figured since uh, you are our resident mining expert, miner, I don't know, but you're you're the guy we talk to about mining. You want to give us like a little bit of, you know, a quick background on uh, mining sector, where hydrogen fits, and maybe just a couple of details about Anglo-American? Yeah, like like a long a long time ago now, myself and, and this person called Chris Jackson, who nobody uh, nobody's heard about, uh, when he was at the World Bank, uh, drafted a, a report looking at some of these uh, these applications in mining sector and, and, and others. But um, the mining sector is a, an incredibly energy intense space, and it has been an area where it's been extremely difficult to decarbonize or to introduce kind of um, energy efficient solutions. A lot of the work that's going on in mining right now is around integration of renewables and sizing of those, but also looking at things like resiliency systems, looking at ramping potential for microgrids, but also, and, and some of the interesting applications for hydrogen, looking at the highway haulage vehicles. So the, the huge 250 plus ton up to like 360 metric ton capacity trucks and looking at uh, kind of uh, responsive generation systems. So there's a whole heap of opportunities on site to, to kind of utilize hydrogen. And, and there are other, you know, depending on what you're mining, there are other kind of processing applications that go a little bit further down the, the, the kind of the stream. To, to talk to Anglo-American, and, and, and they're, I think, the largest producer of platinum in the world. They're, they're a huge, huge mining company with kind of diversified kind of production interests. And I think the reason that, that we're particularly interested in them is that they have uh, looked at this hydrogen uh, application pathway for their haulage trucks in particular. Um, and they partnered with a, a few people to actually design and develop these, these uh, very, very large vehicles um, and to deploy them. So they've got good kind of uh, targets for decarbonization. They're, they're proactive in, in looking at some of these opportunities and as I said, you know, moving a vehicle that's going to move 360 tons is not an easy task and something that has been extremely, extremely difficult uh, to find a pathway to, to decarbonize on. And hence, it has created, as you'd expect, quite a lot of interest and excitement. And actually, hydrogen applications on site do, uh, do add to a kind of a, a, an additional stream of, of kind of opportunities for your renewable resource to be deployed, developed and utilized um, more fully, maybe. Excellent. Really rose to the challenge there. Covered a lot in a, in a short amount of time, Patrick. Well done. My best for you, Andrew. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's uh, let's see if we can get Jan on the line. Yeah, guys? Hi, Jan. Hi there. How are you? Andrew, how are you guys? Good, good. Yeah, and so look, thank you very much for joining us today. Really great to have you on the show. I thought maybe we'd just start the um, discussion with you know, asking maybe the, the sort of broad opener, which is, you know, why did Anglo-American start really looking at sort of hydrogen and fuel cell technologies, um, you know, and various solutions related to them? And how do you see uh, these technologies and the sector more broadly sort of fitting in line with the sustainability goals Anglo-American has set itself? Okay, well, thanks, Chris, um, Andrew, um, for having me on um, on your podcast, uh, to for, first of all, and um, yeah, look, there are. I, th- I think basically there are there are two angles for Anglo American into this. The first one is actually a very long standing one, where Anglo 
as part of its commodity mix, product mix, um, is actually the largest producer of PGMs, of platinum group metals. And given their use, where at the moment the majority of PGMs is actually used in um, catalytic converters and internal combustion engines, with the phasing out of the of the internal combustion engine in in a, in a number of jurisdictions, uh, and having known that sort of coming we have we as anglo-american have uh, for more than 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 a decade been looking into um, alternative uses for pgms um, and um, the hydrogen fuel cell space has been one of those uh, has been one of those areas which is why we have had a dedicated uh, we call that it's a it's a it's a pgm market development team within anglo-american platinum within the business unit um, of platinum that has actually been very proactively been running various programs to advance um, the hydrogen economy. And I'll, I'll, I'll happily speak a bit more to that um, going, going forward. Broadly speaking, the second, the second angle, and that's a bit more recent, is our own um, or decarbonization of our own operations um, for Anglo-American. And that's also where it fits with um, the, the latter part of your question, i.e. how does it fit in with our, with our wider sustainability approach, um, which of course covers not only uh, our carbon footprint, our carbon and energy footprint, but also various other um, areas such as um, uh, livelihoods, uh, transparency, accountability, etc., etc. So across the ESG spectrum. But for the purpose of this conversation, I think our decarbonization uh, targets are, are, are the most important ones. And there we have committed for Anglo-American to be CO2 neutral across all our operations by 2040 in terms of scope, uh, scope one and two. And uh, by 2030, we want to have eight assets, eight mines, uh, de- uh, carbon carbon neutral. Obviously, there are we, we've got a number of, um, uh, of of main emission emission sources. The grid that we that we rely upon is is an important one. Uh, then we've got vent uh, methane, um, especially from some of our assets in, in 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 South Africa and Australia. And then a large proportion is also the diesel consumption in 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 our large mining vehicles in the in in the big haul trucks. And that's exactly where we have been focusing our efforts on in terms of trying to deploy hydrogen and fuel cell technology in our operations to basically displace the diesel um, that we're using in those um, in those in those uh, large mining haul trucks. And and something I wanted to just pick up on here is, um, you know, I remember when I was talking to my colleagues at the World Bank before I left, you know, a little while ago now, that they were saying something like 11% of global energy is mining and 4% of it is used to crush rocks. And I'm sure Patrick will correct me if I'm wrong on that, um, but always a staggering figure. Um, and something people have often commented on is, you know, this focus on sort of platinum as a sort of source and driving that. How does that sit alongside these sustainability objectives, more mining, more raw materials, more minerals? Um and often you hear commentators saying that a big focus of developments in PEM electrolysis and PEM fuel cells is reducing the volume of platinum. So I was wondering if you could maybe talk to why, you know, Anglo actually see platinum as a, a positive in terms of sustainability as a resource, as opposed to how quite often it is discussed as being quite a negative that we need platinum and the extraction of platinum itself. Well, I, I think there are again there are there are various levels of on, 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 in terms of how you can how you can address that question. There is of course um, the the overall supply of platinum. Um, as you say, it needs it needs to primary supply obviously needs to be dug out. But by decarbonizing our 
operations, um, we're, we're actually looking at, at, at reducing that footprint. Now, that will not change the fact that it is a precious metal and therefore any OEM um, uh, or electro electrolysis uh, electrolyzer producer will try to reduce the loading of um, of, of precious metals of the, of the of the of the of the ingredient in his product that has fairly low amounts in terms of weight um, but a very high value, which is absolutely fine because um, for for us, if it means that while we reduce the the loading on the individual unit there is a broader broader deployment of the technology overall and more units are being are being used right and that thrifting of the the platinum loading or any any sort of precious metal loading in uh, industrial or other applications is something that has been going on forever it's the same in the catalytic uh, converters you used to have much higher loadings um, and they have been have been thrifted down but as a producer you also need to look at what that means for the performance of your product right and there have been searches for substitutes forever but i'm not a i'm not an engineer or a, a, a technical person but from what i understand from um, from my colleagues who are actually looking into more the the chemical and physical properties of the PGMs is simply they have catalytic characteristics and properties that um, are very difficult to 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 replace, um, and therefore we definitely see this as a as, as a very positive development. The, the the overall momentum that is behind the hydrogen fuel cell movement. The other point that we should not forget about is that it's almost um, infinitely um, recyclable, right? Uh, PGMs. And therefore, the more it gets deployed through primary materials, the bigger your basis is going to be to actually uh, keep it in the system. You just have to design the system in the right way that the collecting and gathering um, and then the processing actually feed into each other. And Jan, uh, you know, looking specifically at decarbonizing uh, Anglo-Americans operations themselves. You know, what kind of specific applications are you guys, uh, is Anglo-American focusing on for hydrogen and hydrogen fuel cells? Uh, and, uh, you know, where do you guys see the most potential for near-term deployment of those technologies? So actually, as part of the of the earlier mentioned um, PGM market development work, we have actually been deploying a couple of dozers and uh, and other pieces of equipment even underground for a number of years. But that was really pilot stuff um, and and not not at scale. the The exciting piece now is that we're looking, as I said earlier, to displace the diesel, which means um, our, our our main deployment focus for fuel cell technology is going to be in the in the heavy duty mine haulage truck um, uh, category which is really the 250 tons plus uh, truck so so the the really big uh, big big machinery i think a really important piece there is though that deploying the um, hydrogen and fuel cell technology really makes sense as part of an integrated mine decarbonization solution. So, and I'm saying that because everybody's talking about the truck, but in a way that's, it's probably wrong to say it's the tip of the iceberg, but it's part of an integrated solution, right? It makes sense because we are looking to power parts of the mine through renewable 
power that we will get from the PV or, or wind, uh, wind wind plants that we're going to um, to deploy on the land uh, that we that we actually have, and then basically deliberately oversize them to produce hydrogen. So that that that's what makes the overall overall business case really. Um, so it's not just to look at, at at the hydrogen fuel cell technology in isolation, but actually how it operates within within the overall system. Uh, and sorry, you were you, you you were saying where where do we where do we do that? Uh, no, I mean I, the, I think you, you've actually touched on it uh, in terms of I was looking mostly at uh, term of deployment. You know, what are the near term applications? But you've You've touched on the the pilot projects. Um, I don't know if there were other uh, particular technologies that you guys were focusing on in the near term. No, I mean, and again, I think it's really important to. I mean, we're we're obviously talking here everything about hydrogen, but um, we're we're equally looking at um, at other technologies because we we're really of the opinion that we will need to make use of whatever we can. Right, and when we're talking about the truck, and I think I, I mentioned that in an in an earlier conversation to Chris, that we're talking about an, an, a fuel cell truck here, but effectively um, half the half the power is going to come from a battery pack, and half the power is going to come from a fuel fuel cell stack. Right, so it's it's effectively a hybrid. Um, and of course, the, the the sexy and exciting and interesting thing is um, is 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 the hydrogen and fuel cell piece. But it's a combination of uh, of different technologies. And equally, we are looking at lighter mine mine related vehicles, um, be it for um, the mining operations, be it for transporting uh, our employees from uh, wherever it is to the mine or within the mine in in, in buses, etc. And we will be using all available technologies as they make sense in uh, in, in in those uh, for the for those different applications. Time wise. It's all a bit challenging given the overall situation that we're in, right? Um, uh, and 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 uh, given given COVID, because um, some of the operations uh, or some of the some of the works that are required can only be conducted and, and executed in a in a slightly reduced or delayed way. But we are currently building an electrolyzer. Three and a half megawatt electrolyzer in uh, in South Africa at a uh, at a platinum mine that should be in place by Q uh, by the end of Q1, and we were hoping to have the vehicle, um, the, the 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 truck in place. So the the the, the power plant module is currently being um, uh, built or is currently being built in the US, um, and it will then be shipped over to South Africa. To be to be integrated with the truck, and we hope to have that around um, the end of age one, uh, uh, half 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 year one, uh, early early age two. Given there aren't more lockdowns and restrictions in terms of what what can actually be done, because it's we've had our clear timelines, and um, I think we all operate with with a certain level of uncertainty at the moment. In terms of the deployment aspect, like one of the themes that we're starting to hear more and more about is around kind of industrial hubs and clustering of use cases. And, and you've kind of spoken to that a little bit. Um, I'm just wondering specifically, you know, between the overbuild for the renewables resource and, and then obviously powering something as large as a, you know, a 250 plus ton truck. Um, and then obviously, as you said, on-site transportation, are you seeing additional potential use cases, maybe or local community benefits? I know that's always a big theme for mining companies and 
And what kind of reactions do you get when you talk to folks about it? Of course, absolutely. I think that's where there are lots of a, a lot of balls up in the air at the moment. Um, you you might you you will be aware that South Africa, for example, currently is working on its national. They call it the the, the hydrogen society uh, roadmap, um, which I mean, as as many countries have done over the past X months and years to develop their their national hydrogen strategy or plan or roadmap. And of course, they are very keen. And to to leverage the, the the whole platinum mining side of things, um, but also then linking it, leveraging it as you say as a as a hub model um, for wider transport for 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 uh, surrounding communities, getting getting the benefits of that, which I think is is definitely going to happen one way or another. We are we are looking um, at a at a freight corridor project uh, at the moment um, in, in in South Africa, basically between Limpopo uh, up up north and uh, going all the way down to Durban, which is which is a one of the big freight corridors already but um uh, it it could be could be used obviously to to deploy that new technology in line with um what um a south african uh, uh public strategy or a national 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 uh, strategy on this uh, uh, could actually look like but i think it's also important to look at the at, at the upstream at the at the supply chain piece of this where obviously jobs are always uh, an important an important piece and um uh, so looking at what parts of the um, of the value chain can be um, uh, satisfied with local local content? So training and uh, and upskilling in terms of getting people um, uh, getting getting people trained as wind uh, maintenance and uh, and servicing engineers. Um, same on the on, on on the solar side, but also a whole new supply chain needs to be built for all of this. In in uh, in in any case, right? Where and and we we see that both in the country where it will be de- deployed and where we operate but also it will need to be the same conversation here in uh, uh, in Europe uh, in the US etc speaking of operating in, in multiple international markets and across different applications and use cases you know, there's a couple of uh, anglo-americans partnerships have made it into the news uh, recently but you know broadly speaking I, I'm curious uh, from anglo-american standpoint how are uh, how is the company looking to work with various partners? I mean, are there particular partnerships or particular projects, um, you know, focusing in this case, mostly on hydrogen technologies, but how are you guys approaching sort of the, the hydrogen technology space in terms of partnering to, uh, to deploy some of these technologies? So probably it's worth going back to your very early or your, your, your first question, um, you know, where we have been active in this space for quite some time. And that's actually been a multi-pronged approach, really. Um, so uh, I'm talking back about the, the, the PGM market development work where we've been very active in working with universities on the really starting with early R&D we've been we've been involved in launching actual ventures with very very early stage ventures then we have been an active uh, investor through um, AP Ventures, which is a dedicated well Anglo Anglo Platinum Ventures, um, um, which which has been set, had been set up within Anglo American and got spun out a couple of years ago to allow other um, other finances uh, financiers to join the venture capital fund. So we've we've actually built lots of relationships along the value chain for quite some time. We've also been involved in a number of 
commercial collaborations. Um, I was uh, I, I was talking earlier about um, uh, sort of an, an aggregated hydrogen freight corridor consortium. We have um, in the past joined consortiums to co-invest in not huge scale, but um, small, smaller scale um, hydrogen refueling infrastructure, uh, etc. So we've built an, an ecosystem for ourselves or a system of relationships that actually come in very handy now that we're trying to set up those partnerships for deployment in our own operations because we're not an OEM, we're not a fuel producer, we're not um, a fuel cell producer, but we know we know the the, the the people who are doing this quite well and um, have I think established a position of where we where we're seen as as, as fairly trusted partners um, to actually get involved with and and work on on, on trying to um, to deploy those solutions uh, and further develop those solutions because um, nobody has actually ever powered a truck of that size before um, so and you don't just take the weight of the of the vehicle and then just stack up um, the the amount of fuel cells um, uh, to <laughs> by and, and increase it by 300 um, uh, uh, from from a from a from a from an individual passenger vehicle right which is i don't know about a ton or or maybe maybe a bit more so in that sense partnerships for us are absolutely crucial what we do have in in our technology or in our tech, technology development um, department is obviously a lot of project and integration expertise, which is really what what you need in order to bring it all together, because um, otherwise you just have the individual parts. Um, and and as I said earlier on, it's only th- this is only one piece in the bigger puzzle of decarbonizing your overall of, of your overall decarbonizing uh, de- uh, mine decarbonization um, solution. Maybe uh, kind of picking back up on something, I I do think people don't necessarily appreciate how big a role in the investment landscape story that Anglo-American have played. And you sort of touched on it there. But, you know, um, I think it's it's just interesting to sort of understand, is there a precedent for this within Anglo or within other mining companies to play such an active market development role to the stage where it's not just, you know, looking at hydrogen and fuel cell solutions for your own operations. It's not just co-financing you know with others uh, infrastructure like refueling stations in countries it's also you know things like ap ventures which you know are probably the best known pure play or close to pure play hydrogen fuel cell venture fund um globally and certainly have a very impressive list of lps backing them you know how unique is that and why did you know um anglo-american feel that that level of financing beyond you know the core operations of a mining company um, was necessary to get this market going? I think first, if you answer that question, not only focusing on the mining on, on the mining sector, then I think you do see other companies, for example, other hydrogen council members who've got sort of their venture capital vehicles as well. And so, so it's not not unheard of. I think within the mining sector uh, and also within Anglo, um, the PGM market development activities have been unique so i've 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 not seen that in 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 other areas one reason might be that traditionally probably mining companies have seen themselves as 
commodity producers and um, sort of, you know, you produce and the market takes it up. Whereas I think over the last few years, we have probably collectively as the mining industry have become much more aware of the importance of the downstream of the, of 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 the market actually uh, or or the, the the downstream market players i do agree it's been really very forward looking to have that going on for quite some time and remarkably i would say through times when the platinum price had not been great so it's not one of these things where you you know that that you see otherwise sometimes when Prices are great. Let's just splash some cash on 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 some interesting programs. But as soon as um, as soon as the uh, the prices are coming down, you sort of that's the first thing you cut. No, this has actually been ongoing constantly and uh, has been has been built in a very structured way, right? Like um, it it wasn't also just okay. Let's invest some money on this or that. But it's actually been it's also been accompanied by an ongoing advocacy and policy advocacy role um, that we've that we've been that we've been playing in in various in in, in a number of jurisdictions not not as a I, I wouldn't say not not as a hard lobbying play but coming in into conversations um, whether that's in the EU um, uh, at, at an EU level at a UK level at a South Africa level we've been active in China with this for quite some time in terms of set, helping to set up um, the the IHFCA the the International Hydrogen Fuel Cell Association there a couple of years ago um, so it's it, it has been a well thought through approach I think um, and and definitely. Um, is now something that we're also looking at whether this is something that we should be as a as a company be doing for for other um, for other uh, commodities. The market, if if you look at the number of players that you have in the PGM world, it's significantly smaller than you have, for example, in copper producers or nickel producers, right? So actually engaging in this kind of work, you can probably have a bigger impact as opposed to um, doing that with some of the other com commodities where you have a much more fragmented supplier base. And I, I was uh, just going to say, Jan, you're making uh, my job extremely easy and uh, teeing up uh, my next question for me perfectly, which was around policy. So uh, that you know leads into the question Perfectly, which is, you know, basically turning away from just pure private uh, private sector investment. What kind of policy actions should governments in the in major markets uh, be taking in order to assist companies, you know, like Anglo American who are trying to uh, move towards sustainability goals and uh, and decarbonization goals, uh, you know, with regard to these new technologies such as hydrogen. How can how can governments best uh, facilitate those kinds of initiatives? I mean, f first of all, I think what 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 we need to say is 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 that it's 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 great to just have seen all the momentum that we've that we've all been witnessing over the last. 18 months or so, um, um, really moving with hydrogen fuel cell technology, moving from a from a fringe kind of conversation to a to mainstream, really, and that and that's been across different stakeholder groups, right? Um, and and as we said earlier on, most countries, if they don't already have their hydrogen national hydrogen roadmaps and strategies and whatever they call it. They're in the process of developing them. The other good thing to see is that 
quite a few of those countries now have also I mean, look, looking at the EU and some uh, individual EU member states, etc., Germany, France, etc., have actually put in place dedicated funding, right? Um, even if that funding may be with a fairly long-term target or, or linked to, to, to fairly long-term targets. And that's actually one of the one of the challenges and risks that we're that we're facing, right? We've we've had positive momentum um, in the past, uh, precedes my time of um, being involved with this, and I guess also yours looking looking at our uh, at our age. But we've heard from from people who have been in the sector for a long time that oh, yeah we've seen we've seen it before. I think there are some some fundamental circumstances that, that have changed. I think and I hope that this time it will actually be different. But there is one important piece in that, that is while we have those funding commitments now, um, I think it's really it's really absolutely key that those are translate that those actually translate into ASAP deployment uh, at scale and that we can actually show that it's moving and that it's not the next thing forever, right? Or the the, 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 the technology of the of, of the future forever. The other thing I think that is important going back to our COVID situation is that um, a lot of this can be and is linked to economic recovery and sort of the, the, the wider Green Deal uh, agenda. Yet another another important point, I think, would be that to, to really encourage um, stakeholder groups not to get bogged down in this technology X versus technology Y conversation. But as I said earlier, we need all of them and we'll, we'll deploy all of them, right? And for us, this is not about a, an ideological struggle for or against um, hydrogen and, and fuel cells, right? We, we want to use this stuff to address to to solve a, a, a challenge that we're that, that that we're facing the other thing is probably you you and, and and that's where different jurisdictions will 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 need different sort of policy approaches um, is that you will need short or longer term support schemes um, uh, to to bridge the gaps that exist in your in in your country right you've got countries that are already fairly advanced in terms of their renewables per, uh, uh, ratio in their in their energy mix you've got others that are not very advanced in that space if we want to talk green hydrogen the renewables piece is obviously something that needs to be addressed and as as i said different countries are are, are further along the trajectory there than 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 others and then the the biggest piece at a higher level probably is that of collaboration and partnerships where you really need to get the different stakeholder groups together to just actually work together and not everybody running off developing their own codes and standards and regulations but please please if we develop this truck in one jurisdiction and we want to sort of use it in and we want to roll roll it out across our, our global operations and assuming that other companies might want to do uh, a, a similar or, or the same thing. Um, I think everybody's really very keen in in uh, to to harmonize um, that that landscape. And obviously, you've got organizations like the IPHE, uh, Hydrogen Council, etc., to hopefully help with that challenge. But um, we also know there is always sort of the the tension between uh, uh, competition and collaboration in this, right? Um, which which we'll need to overcome. I don't know. I, I I don't really feel in the position to make individual country uh, uh, comments now because they you, you get into into 
very minor details and uh, it becomes very specific. Sure, sure. Well, I, I, I would be... I'd be delighted to have you pass judgment on American policy, but I'm not <laughs> not going to make you do that this time, Jan. Certainly not while being recorded. We're not operating there. <laughs> it, it, it happens to be in, it happens to be in our name. I think that's the most elegant no comment that someone's come up with before on the show. <laughs> Patrick, did you want to do the honors and wrap up with a, a final quick question? Sure. Um, I suppose I suppose we've got we've got seconds left. So so let's let's put you on the spot a little bit, Jan. Um, expectations for commercial deployment. When when are you guys going to be up and running? Um, well, I tried to prevent that question with the with with the uh, with the COVID caveat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, look, we we've got we've got our. 2030 and 2040 commitments, which means that um, while we're working on the on actually deploying or getting getting the pilot in motion, um, as I said, so towards the middle of this year, it means that we're already looking at how we're actually going to ramp that up over the coming years, right? Um, but there are multiple challenges around there, which we all sort of touched upon, ranging from um, establishing secure supply chain. Uh, and a stable supply chain if you if you do actually want to scale this up to getting stuff permitted in 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 those countries as well because as you said earlier we are talking about new technologies right and and very often in in some jurisdictions you actually don't have it's it's not regulated yet and and that needs to be sort of developed as you run uh with it but commercial commercial deployment has to happen um over the coming uh over the coming years otherwise we're not gonna we're not gonna be able to 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 make our commitments perfect well jan we have kept you way past the amount of time we had promised (laughs) so we really appreciate you making the time all right guys let's see a lot of stuff there in that discussion. I think, if I recall correctly, uh, Chris said that he doesn't want to go first. So I'm going to go straight to Patrick on this one. Patrick, what do you think about discussion with Jan, what Anglo-American is up to? Yeah, look, very interesting call. Very, very interesting to see their their approach and to, to talk through kind of the, the pathway that they're kind of engaged in, both in terms of obviously the work they're doing around you know, developing and deploying their their resources and or related resources on site. He mentioned uh, everything from the the whole trucks that we spoke to, um, and and you know the you know like fuel cell buses and other applications, and looking at that kind of uh, holistic kind of system wide energy system wide approach for a site. Um, very interesting, very cool, but but also looking at the investment and engagement they have further into the market, the partnerships they're building in the space, you can kind of see how that kind of uh, targets, uh, the, the targets, I think it was at, uh, 30% or 33% by 2030, and then obviously a target of 2040 for, for much deeper decarbonization, like they're, they're, they're moving aggressively into that space. So very interesting, very cool. Obviously, uh, you know, and I think Chris can probably speak to this one a little more. The the efforts they've they've put together in terms of developing uh, a mechanism around investments and and how uh, Anglo Platinum are playing a role, kind of driving that innovation and deployment uh, stream from the investor side is also a really interesting and intriguing intriguing play. Yeah, actually, that's a, that's a good point. 
And uh, I think, Chris, I did want to ask you, I mean, it, from your standpoint, I know that the this sort of investment arm, this sort of venture arm, uh, AP Ventures, is somewhat unique in the hydrogen world coming from a mining company. But is this sort of a, do you know, is this a kind of a typical vehicle that they use for investing in, in potential technologies that they might want to deploy at sites? You know, for instance, like if it were a battery storage system, you know, do they do this with other industries or is this unique to hydrogen in this case? Well, as I sort of lagged in the discussion with Jan, it is it is unique. And that's one of the reasons that it's quite fascinating. You know, there is often um, a very generic comment made about listed companies, especially in the Western listed companies, that they're not very long term and they're not very strategic and that their budgets quite often are cut just as things get interesting. And I think Anglo-Americans market development team around hydrogen is probably one of the best sort of alternative ways of countering that argument and saying, actually, you know, quite a few listed companies did take and are capable of taking a long-term view because, you know, they have been active in the hydrogen market through their platinum um, focus and trying to develop a market for platinum for a very long time. Um, you know, and Jan spoke about infrastructure. So I think it's important to bear in mind, it's not just AP Ventures, you know, Anglo-American actually directly financed things like hydrogen refueling stations in locations and, you know, made themselves customers of projects. You know, they they purchased some of Ballard's first methanol fuel cell um, systems, for example, in South Africa and had them operating off grid. So, you know, they've been a customer, they've been an investor, both in infrastructure and in new startups, you know, and they've obviously funded a lot of the early trade group activity and things like the Hydrogen Council and things like the UK Hydrogen Fuel Cell Association. So they've taken a really very wide ranging role on this um, and that has been really important for the market and is quite is very unique where ap ventures as a fund is also quite interesting is that it sat originally as a corporate venture arm and was involved in a number of companies including ballard but also companies like hydrogenius who they've been in for a long time but what i particularly found fascinating is how they've evolved it from a corporate venture arm into a more independent and standalone entity you know, so they now have other institutional investors like the South African Pension Fund. They have uh, Sumitomo. They have um, the Mirai Creation Fund, uh, Plastic Omnium. So, you know, some really impressive LPs, um, you know, who not only can provide financing for the venture ecosystem in the hydrogen world, but also provide end user clients, provide, you know, access and contacts into the market. That is relatively unique to see, um, you know, a corporate venture firm saying we've got this track record, we've got great flow, we've got a brand, but we're actually going to make it broader and bring more companies in. I think that's quite interesting. And that, you know, is exciting. It'd be great to see and it'd be an interesting question maybe to get if we could ask one of the oil and gas guys at some point to come on and say, you know, with things like Shell Ventures funding Zero Avia, which was announced relatively recently, might we see more of these kind of tie up collaborations between corporate venture arms as they look to work together on you know, developing markets for new zero emission technologies like hydrogen and fuel cells. That would be really interesting because Anglo-American have done it and maybe that's a role model for others to follow. Yeah. And actually, there was one thing you kind of touched on this, Chris, which uh, I don't think we had a chance to get to with Jan. Uh, we talked about partnerships a little bit more generally, but Anglo-American uh, had some relatively big news around their, their NG partnership that they announced recently. Do you have some details on that? I was curious. Do you do you, what? Can you tell us a bit about what that partnership looks like? I think um, 
more that Onji as a very active participant in the hydrogen ecosystem that have worked on a number of projects are supporting Anglo, I believe, on their South African projects. So they're helping to provide hydrogen for some of the mining truck operations that they are looking to do there. I think that's sort of the, the best known piece of work that they're doing with them. Beyond that specifically, I'm not aware um, of the wider details. But, you know, ONG have been pretty active in the space. And, and to be fair, so have increasingly a number of other of these kind of global energy companies. Um, you know, and I think it is kind of interesting to watch. It has been very European-led and very European-driven. It has been the sort of NLs, the Orsteds, the Vartenfalls, the ONGs that are, you know, Andy Bedrola, who are really pushing into the green hydrogen space, both in Europe and internationally. And we haven't really seen American companies coming in yet. So I guess it's not surprising, but it's still quite interesting to see global mining companies like Anglo-American going to European corporates to support them for green hydrogen when they go into markets outside of Europe, whether that's Africa, South America or Asia, rather than turning to a US company or an Asian company. I don't know, Patrick, you know, is that generally um, you can maybe speak more to this. Is it fairly atypical to generally see or historically would it have been surprising to see so many European energy companies partnering with mining companies as they look at energy operations? Would you have expected to see more of a North American and uh, Asian involvement? Um, you know, and is that potentially coming, but it's just delayed? Could you, you know, maybe share your kind of insights and perspective on that? Um, I, I, it's, it's, I don't think it's... Um unusual nor do i think it's necessarily going to be a, a kind of a, a kind of a benchmark that's going to con- like continue like, like I, I would say that all sorts of developers you know uh you know renewable energy particularly thinking of you know are engaged in the space i think we've we've just seen a real spur from from certain entities and and obviously they're they're partnering up as well which is kind of why we're talking about them right so I think this is also, you know, to, to put it in a different context, you know, the, the companies you just listed there, Chris, are, are some of the, the biggest energy developers in the world um, partnering with, you know, a, one of the biggest mining companies and some of the biggest mining companies in the world. So this is more, I think, uh, a reflection of, of kind of probably pre-existing engagements and, and corporate engagement in general. But I don't think the, the list is kind of uh, limited to that. I expect that there'll be lots more players getting into the space in particular around the space that you know we're talking about today and you know obviously the hydrogen space in general so yeah i think i think this is just that phase as people start to develop and deploy their first projects people build and become kind of prominent right for having developed big projects um i expect we'll see folks in north america and folks in asia and and folks all over the place uh doing exactly as you say patrick do you know are there other major mining companies that are are investing or deploy investing in the hydrogen space or deploying hydrogen solutions at their mines, or is Anglo American unique in that sense? Um, that's that's always a that's always a, a, a kind of a hard one to say. Like like I'm 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 confident that that many are are looking at their are looking at it. Yeah, at sure. Applications and opportunities. I, I I don't I don't know that. Um, I, like there are some pilot examples and there are some initiatives that are undertaken but but to be clear like those innovation efforts go on quite a lot right the sector as much as we we think about the mining sector is rather rather kind of stayed or stagnant uh, in, in its kind of processes it's not that's not really the case they are they are typically looking for opportunities to deploy more efficient technologies 
um, all the time. So um, I don't know to speak to a specific example off the off the top of my head, but to say that I would not be remotely surprised that if if we didn't see kind of other hydrogen linked or or related kind of projects, uh, you know, underway in the next couple of years. I mean, Patrick, something I did want to pick up, actually, that I thought was quite interesting was, you know, we've talked about on the show before that one of the pieces that's interesting around hydrogen technologies and fuel cells is not just looking at it as a like for like comparison, but actually looking at it and going, where can we provide a solution that is better than what you could currently get from an existing predominantly fossil fuel based energy solution and something that Jan mentioned but very briefly but immediately piqued my interest because we've talked about it before was the fact that some of the underground mining vehicles that Anglo have used they said that they've run trials on them using hydrogen and you know that just seemed interesting to me because I know you've discussed and others have mentioned to me before you know how sensitive you know safety as an issue is for these mining sites underground you know how careful they are around what systems can be deployed down there and also how important air quality is where people are working down there and actually kind of interesting to my mind to think about you know if we think about what fuel cells do in terms of you know improving air quality in some ways by filtering some of the particulate matter out but certainly not generating fumes at the very least down there and the you know counter to a diesel gen set and not requiring you know that full electrification infrastructure to be put in which i know you said before is is quite typical on the larger mining sites that they make that investment to electrify down those tunnels where they can that to me is also quite interesting and i wondered maybe if you'd felt it was something worth commenting on as well yeah i think look subsurface mining you know as, as folks will you know intuitively kind of understand it, you know there's a space constraint here um, and there's an operational constraint around the size of vehicles and the shape of vehicles you can you can utilize most effectively. Um, and then there's you know there's all sorts of safety concerns, right? Like so, one that you typically hear is around you know potential explosiveness and disruption around that, right? Because you know for obvious reasons, right? Um, you know, look. I know I know of other pilots and other efforts looking at underground mining utilization of, of hydrogen as the, the energy source. I think it's a live issue because of precisely the, the safety constraints and the, you know, kind of the, the design features of, of going deep, deep down under under the ground. Right. Um, there are there are other kind of applications and solutions also being looked at. It's it's worth flagging that. But, you know, when it comes back down to it, like. This is why this space is quite quite interesting because even those you know subsurface kind of loaders you're talking about fifty you know twenty to fifty tons potentially of of capacity that you're trying to shift right maybe even more in some cases so it's 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 heavy and hard work no matter what and if you can make a reasonably small um, adjustment that improves your efficiency or your 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 movement um, by even a small margin, it can be it can be significantly rewarding. So yeah, like it, it, it is interesting. I I I'd, I'd love to know more specifically as to, to to what applications they're looking at. But I think folks should should expect kind of to see some interesting innovations coming out of that space, given the the harshness of the environments in which they have to have to be utilized. Well, and something that this that actually also came up from all of this, and actually, you know, I think we, you know, because we, because Anglo is so broad in what they do, we probably didn't focus enough on the mining piece in some ways because there's so much we could cover there. But something that I think because of my World Bank hat, I can't help but think about is, 
you know, Patrick, you've talked to me before about the sheer volume often of diesel and fuel that these mining sites are bringing to areas, often remote areas and increasingly areas in developing countries. I'm just thinking, you know, if you were able to find a fuel alternative, one of the knock-on effects of that, you know, a transition away from diesel to hydrogen, for example, in these areas, presumably would also mean a knock-on on the availability and likely on the pricing of diesel for other consumers in those areas, including local communities. So I guess that's also an interesting, you know, part of that. What impact does mining activities have on that broader community engagement? You know, well, obviously, if you're not bringing large amounts of diesel, there's not a lot of cheap diesel available for consumers in the same way. And I guess in developing countries where that might be a more predominant fuel source, that creates an interesting discussion point that could be very positive as far as it's thinking about how do you then get them to zero emission? How can they use the hydrogen infrastructure? But it could be negative if they weren't pulled into that conversation because it, then they're still stuck with traditional fossil fuel sources, but they don't benefit from that bulk buying you know, capability that may have come with the mining operations. I don't know, but it, that just seemed to me like another interesting part of the energy transition in the world of mining that you know hydrogen would be potentially touching on and we didn't really explore in any way. Yeah, well, we'll take take it one step further, and and you, you're certainly on the money. Uh, I think Jan mentioned kind of overbuilding of kind of microgrid systems, right, to to facilitate direct electrification and also for hydrogen production. If you're in a remote area and and you don't have a grid grid system, number one, you, just to speak to the diesel price uh, directly, you you avoid the cost of the diesel and the cost of shipping the diesel, which sometimes is as much as a uh, you know, essentially doubling the price, right? So you can avoid that, but you can also potentially uh, provide clean electricity to to communities. And 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 I think it's worth also noting that you know, with large mine sites, you're 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 creating a town in some cases around the site. So there is kind of consumer or residential load that needs to be managed. When you develop these resources at the scale that we're talking about, you can certainly provide a resource that's accessible for local communities that is not necessarily as expensive for them. So you can improve their, I suppose, cost of living by reducing their, their energy costs and also removing the, uh, the fumes and particular matter that might be in the air around them. But also, you know, you, you're starting to provide infrastructure that can last past the lifetime of the mine as well. So there are like, you know, we all know that, you know, mining uh, companies in, in some cases have had a, a bad reputation in, in their engagement with, you know, indigenous peoples and communities in general. This is actually potentially an avenue where mining companies can, can beyond the life of mine, actually support some of those communities, which is why it's, it's very encouraging. Yeah, and, and something we should, you know, Andrew, maybe we need to bully Patrick more on, on this a little bit more because, Patrick, we talked a bit about uh, on, you know, probably something that would have been a good <laughs> nerd out hydrogen topic, which was hydrogen in the steel industry. You know, we, we had that discussion a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, offline around, you know, our views on that and why that should be or shouldn't be transitioning or what the time frame would be on that. But, you know, certainly in Australia, this idea of, you know, I can put down large amounts of very cheap green hydrogen uh, capability, production capability, um, and we're going to talk to Intercontinental Energy about that sort of work later this, uh, you know, later this year on the podcast. A, a lot of that then is leading to this discussion around, you know, mining communities that are built up around 
um, those opportunities around, you know, producing hydrogen for that community as well as for mining processes. And then that feeding into that broader ecosystem, ports and everything else that kind of comes with it. And maybe that's a you know, a good theme for us to pick up on with, you know, one of these mining guys and girls. Um, so for our listeners, if you do work in a mining company and you want to talk to us about that, maybe this is something we can, uh, we can get someone on the show and talk about. What do you think, Andrew Patrick? A funny feeling I can find a couple of people who'd love to talk to you about green steel as well. So, yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, Patrick, if Patrick doesn't know anybody in the uh, green steel uh, sector, that would be troubling. Green steel just always reminds me when you said of that, um, that old uh, robot boxing film. What was a real steel with, um, with the Australian guy? What on earth is that one called? Hugh um, Jackman, isn't it? Hugh Jackman, that's the one. Uh, wait, Hugh Jackman is Australian? I think he's Australian. I, I mean, you know, we've just had an Aussie on the show, so that's going to be a hole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and uh, we could probably do, we can do a whole other section on uh, Hugh Jackman movies. It'll be a bonus episode. He is yeah. Australian, so you're entirely correct, Chris. There you go. I was wholly unprepared for the Hugh Jackman discussion, guys. Yeah, we've got to add it to your briefing notes next time. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Andrew, before we um, let you go, I, I wanted to just ask on something topical before we close up, which is, um, you know, uh, Plug Power made two kind of interesting announcements, one in Asia in the automotive space and one, you know, talking about sort of targeting the UK. And then there was the Hyundai Apple discussion as well. So what's kind of your take on the fact that there's such a flurry of news around the automotive sector at the moment and, you know, companies with hydrogen interest talking to others in the space, you know, do you read anything much into that? Or do you think that's part of this general interest in companies like Fisker, in Tesla, in, you know, all these sort of startups in the space? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think potentially it's a lot of interest just around uh, zero emission vehicles, right? And And I think, there, you know, like we've talked about a bunch of times on the show, there are use cases and applications for fuel cells that make sense now, much more so than batteries in commercial uh, and uh, long distance transport uh, versus, you know, personal passenger vehicles where, you know, at least in my mind, and I'm sure you guys would have some countervailing arguments here. In my mind, that's kind of, that's uh, the argument. The book is closed there, right? I think it makes, it's pretty clear that, Batteries make more sense for personal passenger vehicles, but the the plug power reno deal and again that that article or that announcement came out this morning and and I read through the article very quickly, but I understood it to be saying that they were looking at uh, a joint venture, standalone joint venture, building you know designing, building and selling uh, light commercial vehicles, right? So sort of like B two B or delivery uh, you know delivery vehicles. Uh, so in that sense. You know, I do think that there is general interest in zero emission vehicle technology, but I think in this case, I think that it's uh, they're looking specifically at hydrogen fuel cell vehicles because they can go longer distances, uh, they refuel faster, and these are the type of vehicles that you know, as we've said in the past, these are the type of vehicles that are getting heavy use day in day out, and certainly at this point, uh, hydrogen makes a lot of sense. So I think it's it's uh, I think it's probably a wise decision. But you know they didn't ask me, uh, so but that's my take on it. Fair loss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That's what I think. But you know maybe they'll listen and they'll give us a call. But yeah, no, I, I think it's I think it's a positive uh, indicator that people that companies are looking to tailor their their 
vehicle solutions based on the use case, right? To, to use Patrick's, uh, Patrick's motto of it depends on the use case. Yeah, agreed. Should we wrap that, team? Yeah, I think we'll call it. That does it for us here today at Everything About Hydrogen. A big thank you to Jan Klawiter, Head of International Policy at Anglo-American, for walking us through the complex world of mining and how Anglo-American is using hydrogen to meet their emissions goals. Thank you, as always, to Patrick and Chris for their masterful co-hosting abilities and hard work on the show. And as you know, we love to hear from our listeners here at Everything About Hydrogen. If you have any questions for us or our guests, please send us an email at info at h2podcast.com or find us on Twitter at, at About Hydrogen. Lastly, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. It really does help us promote the show and reach a larger audience. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Thank you.